Hey, good morning, everyone. That was really loud. I don't know if it was as loud for you as it was for me. It was really loud up here. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm so glad you're here. It's so good to be worshiping together as a church family. And um, I'm just very, very thankful for you being here. Thankful for those worshiping online with us. My name is Greg Brady. And uh, if I haven't met you, um, I would love to meet you after the worship service. And just glad that you're here. We are in this sermon series called Intentional Faith, and we're talking about um, being just very thoughtful with how we need to grow and very thoughtful with what we need to believe about God. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, being very intentional with our, our thinking, our minds, our thought life. And I wanted to spend one more week on that um, because of a daily and persistent and serious threat to our minds. And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. And let's read. We're going to read verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. With a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So, We are talking about being intentional with our thought life, making sure that our thoughts are serving us and not harming us. And one of the daily assaults on our thought life is, this scripture says, the devil and his schemes. Now, what are they? Well, the word that is translated as devil is the word diabolos, which means um, slanderer. The devil is a chief slanderer, a false accuser who lies to discredit someone else. And that's what we see, if we think about this, that's what we see um, the devil doing the very first time that the devil is represented in Scripture, Genesis chapter 3. You might remember the story of the serpent speaking to Eve. And what does the serpent say to her? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. 
he asks Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Of course, that is a lie if you remember the story. God did not say that. God said you should not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden or you would die. Not any tree, the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And then, uh, this is what he says to Eve after that, verse 4, you will not certainly die if you eat from that tree. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So how does Satan slander God? Satan accuses God of withholding goodness from Eve, withholding truth from Eve. Oh, God doesn't want you to eat from that truth because, that, from that tree because he knows if you eat from that tree, then you will, you will be like him. And so you won't need him. So I want you to notice what Satan does. By lying, Satan wants to discredit God in order to destroy our relationship with God. When Satan discredits God, he seeks to uh, make God seem uninspiring or a life with God unappealing or unnecessary. You don't need God. God doesn't seem all that inspiring or... Like we would want to pursue him anyway when Satan discredits God. And if Satan isn't discrediting, discrediting God, he's discrediting you. Um, he'll ask, now why should you expect for God to want to forgive your sins or for want to be with a sinner like you in the first place? And when Satan is discrediting you, he's trying to make God seem unapproachable, unavailable to you, a life um, with God as unobtainable, is what Satan wants to communicate. So either way, when we buy into these lies of Satan, we build this relationship separation between us and God when we believe his lies. So I want to look at a few ways that Satan does this. There is a book um, from the 1600s by a Puritan pastor named um, Thomas Brooks, called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's actually a pretty good read. You can get it dirt cheap from uh, Amazon Kindle. You can download it for, I don't know, like 99 cents if you want to um, read the different ways that he says Satan lies to us. I'm going to go through just uh, eight different ways this morning that I thought were, were really pretty helpful. And um, he identifies, Thomas Brooks identifies particular lies of Satan to tempt us um, into sinning by slandering God or by slandering us. And as I go through this list, I want you to think through which of these lies have you heard? Because we want to be intentional with our faith. We want to evaluate ways that we need to grow. And maybe that evaluation is, oh yeah, I've been, I've been hearing that lie and I've been believing that lie. I've been tempted to believe that lie. So evaluate where you need to grow, identify ways to grow, and then act, act on those ways. So here are ways that Satan discredits God. One, Satan shows us crosses, losses, and sufferings for those who live obediently to God. Now, what is Brooks saying by this? Well, he's saying that what Satan wants to do is he he wants to get you to think, wow, God, um, you know, the, the, the crosses, losses, and sufferings, these are difficulties that we face. These are unpleasant experiences, challenges, trials, sufferings. 
And he wants, Satan wants us to think, well, God, we would maybe expect you to treat your enemies like that, but if that's how you treat your friends, uh, no thanks. I don't need any of that. And if I'm going to be suffering, I might as well uh, be doing something that feels kind of good in the meanwhile and give in to this temptation. And when we believe that lie, how does God seem to us? God seems disappointing to us, unappealing, undesirable. Two, Satan shows us the outward mercies enjoyed by people who walk in sin as well as their freedom from outward miseries. Now, what does that mean? Well, Satan shows us the happiness of those that we know aren't following God or following God's ways. Satan wants us to think, wow, God, look at how happy they are. Look at me. I'm, I'm working really hard to follow you and to, to walk in obedience to you, and i got all these problems going on, but look at, them. They're, they're, look at them. They're so happy. And they're not even following you. Your reward system seems a little out of whack, doesn't it, God? So when we believe that lie... Um, how does Satan seem to us? We'll say, uh, how does God seem to us? Maybe untrustworthy, right? Untrustworthy in his system of rewards for those who are really following him. Three, Satan presents God as one made up of all mercy. Now, what's wrong with that? We want a God of mercy, right? What's wrong with God being all mercy? Well, um. He means, Brooks means, that Satan tries to, per, to per, portray God as, as a big softy who just lets sin and evil slip by without doing anything about it. Just this big, softy God. And if you've ever been the victim of injustice, if you've ever been the victim of someone else's evil or sin, or if you're just one who grieves at the evil and the brokenness of the world, you do not want a God that is just this big softy that does nothing about sin and evil in the world, right? That just winks at sin. We want a God that is committed to taking what is wrong and setting it right. But we'll often hear this um, idea from people today saying, oh, I don't believe in a God who judges. I believe in a God who's just loving who's just all loving. I don't believe in a God who judges. We want a God who judges evil and what is wrong and what is broken and who is committed to making it right. By portraying God to be all mercy, no justice, just this big softy, Satan is painting a picture of a God who is not worthy of your life. Four, Satan gets you to interpret suffering in your life as retaliation from God instead of your sin, uh, retaliation from God because of your sins, instead of restoration with God who loves you. You know, sin often carries with it the consequences of um, bringing damage to ourselves or bringing damage to human relationships. And I'm sure you've experienced that where you commit an offense or someone commits an offense against you, and if we're not careful, that can lead to a breakdown in the relationship. One of the consequences of our sins, and that can bring suffering in our life when we have those breakdowns. And, and what Satan wants us to believe is that that suffering that we experience is retaliation from God because of our sins instead of restoration from God 
pulling us back to him so he can heal us. Because he loves us. Satan wants us to think God is a punisher. Instead of us trusting in God's providence and sovereign reign in our life, who has our lives in his control and the suffering he uses for our long-term restoration and good. So those are some of the ways that Satan discredits God. How does Satan discredit you? One, Satan reminds you of your sins so that you remember your sins more than your Savior. I like that line. Satan wants you to remember your sins more than your Savior. In other words, the devil wants you to believe, wants you to think in your mind, there is no way that God could love me because of the wrongs that I have done. He wants you to focus on your mistakes, your sins, more than Christ your Savior. Two, Satan gets you to compare yourself with those who have the reputation of being worse than yourself. So he wants you to see you, yourself, committing the same things that the other person did who has this worse reputation. And for you to think, well, if, you know, if I'm doing the same things, what does that say about me? I'm, I'm you know, I'm unredeemable. And he wants to get you to condemn yourself, Satan does. Three. Satan gets you to compare yourself to Christian leaders who sin in order to normalize sin. So kind of this opposite effect. Um, And there's no shortage of examples of Christian leaders doing dumb things and sinning. And the goal of Satan is for us to see that and say, you know, if they're doing it, it can't be all that bad, right? Because they're a Christian leader. And Satan gets us to normalize sin. It can't be all that bad, right? And four, this is similar. In Brooks' words, Satan paints sin in virtue's colors. So we try to legitimize the sin that we're committing. We think, Satan wants us to believe, that we're actually doing good. Like we're, we're actually, we, we are really working to take the speck out of someone else's eye instead of, you know, missing the huge plank that's in our our own eye. Where we think, oh, I'm not being judgmental of someone. I'm, I'm just concerned for them, right? I'm, I'm just concerned for their well-being. I'm not judging them. Or oh, I'm not being a gossip. I'm, I'm just being a problem solver. I'm trying to fix someone else's problem by talking about that problem with some other people, and we're going to solve their problem together. Or, yeah, I'm not argumentative. I'm just trying to liberate people from their vastly inferior thinking. You know, we try to legitimize our sin. So those are some of the schemes of the devil. Did any of those kind of resonate with lies that you have heard or been tempted to believe? When Satan tells us these things, what is his goal? This is his goal. Satan's goal is to isolate you from God and God's family. Pretty convinced of that. His goal is to drive this wedge in our relationships with God and with one another. Satan knows if he can get you to doubt God or if he can get you to doubt yourself so that you start pulling back from others, 
he will be able to drive that wedge in those relationships and get you all by yourself where Satan can get you, try to tear you apart because you're isolated. And so, so Paul, if you think of the book of Ephesians, um, you know, Paul says things like this in Ephesians, maintain, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. He's, he's, Paul's really concerned about the unity of the church in the book of Ephesians. He's really concerned about the unity between a husband and a wife in Ephesians. Relationships. He doesn't want there to be a separation between Greeks and, and, and Jews in the book of Ephesians, right? He's concerned about unity. And yet he's aware of Satan's attempts to, to drive wedges in these relationships. And so at the very end of this letter, Paul says, So therefore put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand. So I want to show us um, how the armor of God can help us to defeat these lies from Satan. Now, to say that there's been a lot written and a lot preached on the armor of God, that's kind of an understatement. Um, there's, there's an old English pastor, William Gurnall. Um, I'll, I'll share a quote from him a, little bit, him a little bit later. He wrote a book called, I think it's The Christian in Complete Armor, and it's 1,200 pages long, and it's on these nine, nine verses of Ephesians. 1,200 pages on nine verses. So what I'm going to say is nothing new, right? I'm not really adding anything to the conversation on uh, the armor of God. But what I want to do is I, I want to give you the summary statement. As I was reading through God's armor and thinking through the lies of Satan and what Satan wants us to do, this summary sentence came to my mind. Um, so here, here it is. Here's what I, I think this is all about. Believe in what God has done so that you will remember who you are and what you are to do. The armor of God helps us to do that. Believe in what God has done so that you will remember who you are and what you are to do. So let's look at the armor. Verse 14, um, Paul writes, Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. Belt of truth. And you might wonder, so what, what does truth mean there? Does it mean the capital T truth of like the truth of the scriptures or the, or the truth that Jesus is? Jesus says, I am the, the truth. Is this capital T truth? Or is this the lowercase t truth? Like I am to live truthfully. I want to be a truthful person. And when we look through the book of Ephesians, Paul uses that word truth in both of those different ways leading up to this. So maybe it means a bit of both. That we are to believe the capital T truth that we find in the scriptures and that we are to to be lowercase t truthful people, be honest in in all that we do and and tell the truth and avoid um, telling lies. Now, why is this important? Because truth means trust. And if I don't believe 
the truth of the scriptures, then I won't trust God. And if others don't believe that I'm telling the truth, then they're not going to trust me. And if Satan can get us to doubt God or doubt one another, what's going to happen? That little wedge in the, is, is going to be driven into that relationship. Satan wants to divide us so that he can, he can get us while we're on our own. So be truthful in all that you do and believe in the truth of the Scriptures. That's what that first piece of armor does for us. Next, in verse 14. Stand firm with a breastplate of righteousness in place. Righteousness, simply put, means being in a right relationship. You're walking rightly with someone. It's, it's, it's a relationship that is healthy. It's not closed. What works to close down a relationship? Well, it's, it's these offenses, right? It's when I, when I offend you that that relationship gets... Perhaps, if we're not careful, a little more closed. It's not a right relationship. And what what Scripture says is that God covers up all of our offenses against him. All those things that could drive a wedge in a relationship with God, God covers up all of our offenses against him. In other words, we receive his righteousness, He makes that relationship a right one. So wearing the breastplate of righteousness means you are shielded from any of the accusations Satan may make against you. If I'm acting like a real jerk, which can happen from time to time in relationships, or any time that I act selfishly, Satan will will say, oh, come on. Greg, just look at the real you. Do, you. do you really think that you are God's kind of person? And if you're wearing the breastplate of righteousness, when you hear that accusation from Satan, you can say, yes, I am, because I am made righteous by God. I receive Christ's righteousness. It's not my own. So from time to time, we, we share a quote from the Heidelberg Catechism, and I want to share what it says about righteousness, this great statement from the Heidelberg Catechism, how are you right with God without deserving it at all? Out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient to me, all I have to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. I love that statement on how we are made righteous. It's as if we never sinned. God covers those sins up. So how does this shape us? Well, if if I'm righteous with God, this is going to free me up in my relationships with others. The righteousness we receive from God should should move us to act rightly with others. Since we are right with God, that means that God is not holding back any of his goodness to me or to you. That means all that you need, you have from God. And since all that we need, we have from God, we don't need anything from someone else. We are freed up to be perfectly forgiving and gracious and kind and merciful 
to others, with others. Because I don't have to use them to get something from them because I have everything that I, have from, that I need from God. So it should free us up to live righteously in our human relationships. Remember, Satan wants to destroy them. So when we stand with a breastplate of righteousness, sorry, it preserves our relationships. Moving on, verse 15, it says, Stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So you want some good news today? This is kind of a rough week, right? Boy, leading up to that hurricane, and that was pretty intense. Missing it, but people and we know in eastern Texas and Louisiana, oh, it's just been a rough week. Need some good news today? Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. The gospel is that God is drawn close to you in Jesus Christ because he loves you, and he has come to bring his love and favor and provision right now to you. And that God and that Christ has died so that your sins could be forgiven, and that Christ has risen from the grave in order to destroy death and all of its harmful, damaging effects. That's the good news that we have today. And if that's the good news, which it is, what now? Well, what now is you share that good news, right? You, you make sure that your feet are fitted with this gospel, and you, you either live out the gospel, you tell about the gospel, you do both, you do whatever. You just make sure that we are proclaiming or living out the gospel. Listen, Satan wants to isolate you from God and isolate you from others, and Satan also wants to isolate others from the gospel that you have to share. And don't let him do that. So whatever we can do, let's make sure that we are sharing the gospel because we are here as a sign of God's love to this planet of ours that is full of hurting and broken and needy people. Next, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So intentional faith is, is believing what the Word of God says is true. And, and, and then it's, it's intentionally, back to intentional faith, it's intentionally just drawing this line in the sand where you say, if you're feeling like you're under attack, you say, I'm going to believe what God has told me is true. And when my experience doesn't completely line up or seem to line up with what I'm understanding to be true, I'm not going to adapt my understanding to, to meet the experience or to fit my experience. In other words, we don't start doubting what God has promised to us, even if we're going through difficult times. Instead, I interpret my experiences in light of my understanding. I keep believing in this God who loves me completely, who is completely in control of my life, completely sovereign over creation has the events of my life completely in his good hands, using them for my good. And then look at verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So think about that helmet of salvation. And I just want to point out these words that we've been hearing through God's armor that, that describe 
um, what God is doing in our relationship with God. So righteous, we are, we are made righteous with God and, and, and gospel, the good news of God's salvation to us. Make sure your feet are fitted with the gospel. And then salvation, the helmet of salvation, where God, God brings us salvation. Notice what God is doing. Again and again we see this. Believe in what God has done and is doing. What has he done? He saved you. He loves you. He forgives you. So that you will know who you are. Who are you? You are God's beloved. You're God's beloved. And what you are to do. What are you to do? Share this gospel. Live out this gospel. Now, how do we rely on all this to battle Satan? Well, Paul says through the word of God and through prayer. You must know what God's word says about the greatness of God and all that what God is doing and what that says about you or God's beloved. He's made you to stand strong. But Paul says more than just look at God's word and know God's word. He also says pray. So after this list of the armor of God, Paul says in verse 18, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, why is it not enough just to read God's word? Because I think you can read God's word in a way that doesn't draw you close to God. You can read God's word in a way that doesn't draw you close to God. Prayer is what God make God prayer is what makes God's word personal. When you connect with you what you're reading with with prayer and you you listen for what God is saying to you through his scriptures. Prayer is, is having the Bible in front of you and, and listening. God, what are you saying to me in this? That is this act of, of prayer. Prayer keeps our trust grounded where it needs to be. So here's this quote from that English pastor who wrote 1,200 pages on this passage, William uh, Gurnall. He wrote, we must not confide in the armor of God, but in the God of this armor. And prayer is what keeps our confidence, not in the armor, but in the God who has given us this armor. Prayer is what keeps our confidence in God, and that's where it needs to be. We need God's promises, yes, but ultimately, who we need is God himself, right? Recently, my family got a new golden retriever puppy. I know what you're thinking, so bring on the puppy illustration. So I got a puppy illustration for you this morning. It's not a very good illustration, but um, just something that I thought of the other day. A few days ago, I took Phoebe, our new golden retriever puppy, out to Expiration Green to go on a walk and try to do a little leash training. Uh, which wasn't very successful, by the way. Um, and so we, we have this little retractable leash for Phoebe, and she would uh, she'd be walking by me, and then all of a sudden she would just start racing off, and you know how this goes if you've got a dog. Um, and got to the end of that retractable leash, and wham, it, you know, it's... Phoebe comes to a complete stop, and she turns around and looks all confused, and... I said, come here, Phoebe, and she just kind of trots back to me, and then she's walking by me. We're walking along right next to one another, and then she takes off again and gets to the end of the leash and snap, and 
she stops and come here, Phoebe. She looks all confused and trots back. And this happens over and over again, right? So I, I thought of that. And I thought, prayer is what brings us back. Prayer is what brings us back after we've trotted off on our own. Prayer is what brings us back, right, to God's presence, where we can be right by his side, safe and secure. And we can, we can kind of race off, can't we? We can even put on the armor of God and we can race off ahead of where God may want us to be. Prayer is what brings us right, because it's not God's armor in which we put our hope. God's armor is not our living hope. Our living hope is God himself, and prayer is what brings us back so we can walk right along by God's side. So pray to God. Bring your temptations to him. Bring the lies that you hear from Satan to him and allow God to to work through his word and through prayer to make you stand strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us armor for our good so that we can turn away from the lies that the devil wants us to believe about you and ourselves. But I thank you even more, Lord, that you give us the gift of yourself, that you never turn us away from you, that you are here to restore us and to be with us and to be our hope and to be our security and to be our rock and to be our provider and to be our protector and to love us and to whisper your encouragement your, your words of assurance to us. Lord, we want to worship you. We want to, we want to receive all that you are to us. We know that you're good. We know that you're good, so we worship you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to stand firm and strong and to tell about your goodness to this hurting world around us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.